Hello, my name is Betsy Rubarsik, and I'm your host of Teachers Show Me the World, a podcast for teachers who want to venture beyond the four walls of their classroom and make their subject come to life through educational travel. This podcast will be a toolbox of tips, tricks, and resources that will enable you to create a world travel program at your school that will enhance your students' education through life-changing, hands-on, experiential learning, and help you become a teacher who shows your students the world. Hello, friends. Welcome to another episode of Teacher Show Me the World. I'm really excited about this particular episode because um, I really feel as though this topic is a pain point for a lot of us teachers who lead our students abroad. And um, I don't know about you, but the idea of fundraising has never been fun. It just seems like more work being put onto us already leading these trips is so demanding. There's so many moving pieces. And to add yet another component of fundraising can just be really overwhelming. So with that in mind, I realized that this would be a perfect episode for me to bring in an expert. This fall, I actually attended a a large multi-state teacher conference um, called the CEA in Indiana, in South Bend, Indiana. And I actually attended a particular conference that highlighted the idea of leading trips with your students And one of these keynote speakers at this presentation was a woman by the name of Sarah Johnson. And what she said about fundraising stuck with me. I've been the sort of person that I have avoided fundraising. In fact, for me personally, uh, my students have always had to just go ahead and get jobs or the parents have to pay for it. However, during this presentation, listening to Sarah She actually made fundraising sound fun, and it was really inspirational. So I hope this episode inspires you. I hope it gives you ideas to be able to perhaps implement at your school. And instead of avoiding fundraising like I have over the years, perhaps embracing it for the first time and actually seeing this whole opportunity as being something that can bring your group together. So I'm excited about this episode for you to hear what Sarah has to say. So without much further ado, let's begin. Well, hi, Sarah. How are you today? Good. How are you, Betsy? Good. I am so thankful that you were able to make it. I know that you and I are both having to brave the winter apocalyptic weather of 2024. So thank you for uh, taking time to do this. (laughs) No problem. It makes those trips abroad all worth it. Oh, I tell you, I don't know about you, but I've really been dreaming about all of the fantastic warm places that I've been to. And I'm, I still wonder why I'm here in Michigan. <laughs> I ask my nuts, myself that all the time. I know, I know. Well, I just wanted to go ahead and uh, get into things with you. And um, I'm just so impressed by your knowledge when it comes to fundraising. And I know that you are just an incredible resource on this topic. And I was hoping that you could maybe share a little background about yourself of what you do, where you, um, what you teach. And uh, yeah, so why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got into this world of becoming a fundraising guru? <laughs> 
Well, guru might be a strong word, but yeah. <laughs> I uh, work in, at Ileana Christian High School, which is in Dyer, Indiana, uh, you know, near Chicago. Uh, I have been at Ileana for 17 years. Um, I I English teach sometimes. Uh, I That's not true. I English teach every day, uh, just two periods of um, upperclassmen, and then I am the missions director. So that has a couple of different roles in it, but the my favorite role is to take on our mission trips. Uh, we do mission trips at spring break and during the summer break. Uh, so that's kind of what my my background is and and where I do it. So I'm in a suburb of Chicago and I help Ileana Christian students go on mission trips. So you mentioned that you've been doing it for 17 years. Did you actually walk into that role? It was already functioning or is this something that has kind of been your baby and you instituted it? Uh, it's a little bit my baby. I went on my first mission trip with Ileana uh, about 13 or 14 years ago. I don't remember exactly. And then as our student population grew and as our desire to kind of expose students to other cultures and other places where Jesus is at work grew, this job kind of grew. And so uh, post-2020, I decided to um, make a pitch to our administration and ask to lessen the amount of time that I'm in the classroom and do a full-time missions director. Uh, another part of my job is we have community service hours here at Ileana that students can do to earn an exam exemption. So that's another part of the of the job that I manage. And as that grew and the mission trips grew and we knew we wanted to do more of them, it, it became more of a, a part-time job. And so I needed to kind of split my focus between that and teaching. Oh, wow. That's so amazing. I've been in this, yeah. I've been in this role as missions director for five years, I think, maybe four. Wow. So this is something that you totally created and evolved into from what you originally started. That yes. is incredible. I Because when I met you at that conference and mm -hmm. I heard that you said that that's the title of your role. It's not a very common role. Not a lot of schools actually are willing to put the funding to do that. So did you yeah, meet, I'm, were you met with some resistance initially? Uh, not, not from the administration at all. We definitely uh, have an administration here at Ileana. My principal, Peter Boonstra, is super supportive of the missions that we do and mission work. Uh, he is my most reliable chaperone on these trips. He started many of the mission trips that we do here um, and certainly chaperones anything that I ask him to chaperone, which is lovely. Um, and then our head of school, Lance Davids, is definitely a fan of people like okay, find a need in this school that we need and then pitch me how you can fill it. Um, and uh, yeah, they were both very supportive when I when I asked for this kind of job description change and, you know, got it passed through the board, which I think is an incredible statement about our community and the value that it, it has on missions as well. Yeah, that really is incredible. And I hate to say it, but so many of us, who lead these trips, we are always met with resistance quite often. And so I know that um, it's not uncommon for a lot of teachers to have to totally do this on their own, on their own time. So for you to be able to have an actual position that speaks mm -hmm. volumes about your administration, I have a whole lot of respect for them. Wow, that's incredible. Me too. <laughs> and this community, like 
the the board had to pass it and that is made up of community members so i think i just am in the right place at the right time since you've been leading these trips how would you say that um these trips have shaped your students lives and changed them because anytime you have students go abroad that inevitably is going to change them but this is like a heart issue so how have you seen these changes in them i i guess for me the biggest change i see is just there are two. One, the respect and understanding of cultures outside of Northwest Indiana. Um, I didn't grow up in Northwest Indiana. I grew up in Iowa, but very similar communities. And I can see it in the people that I grew up with or the students that I've taught here. There's just kind of that that safety of the comfort zone. And so I know this area and, and these are the people I know, and these are the things I know, and I want to stay where I'm comfortable. Um, Mm -hmm. I love taking students on trips like this, even if they aren't international, like we do national trips as well. Um, trying to find them different places in the United States or different places globally where they can be exposed to a culture that is different. And then what comes out of that exposure is ultimately respect for, right? Like when you're with the people for an extended period of time, when you're, you know, in the the cities, when you're, when you're interacting with the people, when you're eating the food, when you're listening to the music, when you're, un, you know, beginning mm-hmm. to hear that language that is different from your own or watching them interact with their friends in a way that is different than the way that we interact with our friends, you begin to respect and understand that, that there is an importance in, in knowing cultures outside of your own. Um, the thing, the second thing I love is that they get to see that God is bigger than Northwest Indiana, or even, you know, I know that you're in Grand Rapids bigger than, than Michigan, right? Like God is in Uganda. God is in Swaziland. God is in the Philippines. He's in Ireland. He's in the Dominican Republic. He's in all these places that we go or want to take kids to, and he's doing good work there too. Um, and I think that is an important part of faith development for our students is seeing that, you know, the the same God that you serve in your church in Indiana is the same God that they're serving in a completely different way in this church in Uganda. And, and the respect and humility that comes with understanding just how big our God is. Yeah, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. Well said. Well said. <laughs> so um, in regards to your area of expertise, so you're able to lead these trips. And I know that you logistically plan all of these trips on your own um, or other staff members do. So this isn't something that is through a travel company, a student travel company per se. So I know that um, the cost is not you have some wiggle room. It might be um, not as expensive, but nevertheless, still expensive uh, to be going to Uganda or, you know, Dominican Republic. Mm -hmm. So I know that you really excel within the area of fundraising. And um, I I find that interesting uh, with fundraising, you know, it can be a friend or it can be a foe. For me, historically, it's been my foe. (laughs) It has not been my strong suit. And I've kind of... um, 
I've never really pursued it because I felt like I couldn't find true value in it. The monetary amounts that I noticed that like the band boosters would be raising Mm -hmm. would be like a couple hundred bucks here and you can sell chocolate bars and that kind of stuff. So I just kind of defaulted to having my older kids, my high schoolers just go ahead and uh, get a job. I'd recruit them far enough in advance. So they'd have a year and a half to be able to get a job and save and pay for it on their own. And that's just been my story and it's worked. Um, But I I really want to hear about your success stories of fundraising. So I guess the first question that needs to be asked is, what would you say the socioeconomic status is of your school? And is it hard for your students and their families to pay outright for these trips? And is that what um, prompts you to do the fundraising? Or is it um, having the kids see their faith in action? You know, I mean, that obviously would come into play too to see how the raising of the money comes about. I bet you you have some pretty miraculous stories. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, I, our socioeconomic status, I would say is middle class, upper middle class, right? So do I have people at the school who could write a check for the trip? Yes. Um, And some of them do. Um, I think it is really important for the kids to fundraise. An important part for me is buy-in. So if you're putting forth the effort to collect the money you need for this trip, I think you get more out of it. Mm -hmm. Um, So we do, as part of their commitment to going on this trip, the students have to pay uh, 10% of the cost of the trip. My, My ask is out of their own money. Um, so that they are paying with money that they have, you know, saved or uh, that they are putting toward this trip. We offer a variety of different trips. Um, and my hope is that we do our international trips in the summer and our national trips at spring break, which allows kids a little bit more time to fundraise those larger amounts for those more expensive trips. Uh, but last year we went to Los Angeles at spring break and the Dominican in the summer and spent almost the same amount of money to go to LA and Dominican. And we had, we had a bigger group going to LA, uh, but the, the numbers were very, very close. Uh, so I do try to keep that in mind. Like what are some trips that we can do that are very affordable for our students? Um, this summer we, our Uganda trip, we shifted to spring break because that's when our hosts in Uganda wanted us to come. It's just a better season for them all around. So we're going to go there. So then this summer, we're going to do a trip to Chicago, which is only going to cost about $400. And that covers room and board and all of the food for the days that we are there. So I I do think about that when thinking trips that we are going to do. What are, what are some cost effective trips we can do, like West Virginia, which only costs about eight hundred and fifty dollars, versus your Dominican and your Ugandan trips, which are eighteen hundred and twenty two hundred respectively. Twenty two hundred for yeah. Uganda. Yeah. Wow. Does that include flight? That it that does include flight, but we stay with a host family and we stay um, in their home. So okay, that explains it. Yeah, like that's we, phenomenal. Twenty two hundred sounds like just the price of the ticket. <laughs> I know. Well, we just actually are in the process of buying our tickets. If they have not already been bought, they will be bought by the time that this gets released. And 
so they are, I think she was saying they are going to be between 12 and 1500. So wow. yeah, that is amazing. That is amazing. And we do, mm-hmm. I, I do want to clarify this. We, we do a lot of the logistics in-house, but we do work with travel agents. Um, we have a specific travel agent who is wonderful to us, who is a friend of Ileana, um, who works with us in getting good tickets um, when we, tra- when we use, um, when we do travel in a place that needs airfare. Uh, she just has a great reputation with air, with um, airlines and loves us and, and does us a real solid. That is not anything I know anything about. So definitely our travel agent helps us out with that. Yeah, um, that's awesome. That's yeah, awesome. It is. It is definitely a blessing because that that is a stressful situation for me. And then uh, our hosts in Uganda take care of purchasing the tickets to Uganda just because they travel it so often that they mm. know and kind of can keep an eye on when is a good time to buy and the the right airlines to fly and the right places to fly through. So yeah. I, I am not a one woman show. I lean absolutely on the people around me. <laughs> but I think you That's asked good. me about, um, is it hard for students to pay outright for these trips? Um, well, well, actually, um, let me kind of segue into this next question, then you can roll that into it. Okay. Um, so what are your fundamental steps to ensure a successful fundraiser? And do you have specific systems in place? If so, what are they? So the kids have a monetary amount. They mm-hmm. know they have to raise it. What is the game plan? So I... I think a fundraiser, I've learned a few things in the last five years at this job. Uh, The first thing I've learned is I don't want to do, like you were just talking, like a couple hundred dollar fundraiser. I want to do a fundraiser that's going to make me between three and five thousand. That's always my goal. I've also learned that trying to do a fundraiser that is going to raise upwards of 25,000 and, you know, cover all of my trips for the year is just not something I can pull off in the community I live in. Um, We are pretty fundraiser saturated right now. Uh, The school I work at, Ileana, is in the middle of a building campaign. Several of the churches in our area are in the middle of a building campaign. A couple of our feeder schools are in building campaigns. So they are just fundraisered out up here. Mm -hmm. So what I decided to do starting several years ago is I try to think of events or things that we can do that our community will pay for. Um, I, I have a group chat with a couple friends of mine that I frequently will send them ideas from like Pinterest or Instagram or from my own brain and say, can I monetize this? And so that's, that's sort of what I, I think about. Like I, we don't do like chocolate sales, although I have been toying with an idea about like a coffee and chocolate sale at Valentine's day, but mm. I haven't pulled the trigger on that yet. Um, my two most successful fundraisers that we do at Ileana uh, are a dodgeball tournament. Which, I love it. Yeah. And oh, this is the other thing. I believe in low risk, high reward fundraisers. So I don't want to spend a lot of money to make a lot of money. So the dodgeball tournament, I use the dodgeballs that we have here at PE. Um, we encourage our students to sign up in teams. We charge those teams an entrance fee. Um, like how much? 
Uh, we charge $30 a team, which okay. is $5 a kid. So there's okay. $5. Um, there, yeah, they're, they're $5 in. They win a t-shirt. Um, a, oh, in 2020, when we pulled off this tournament in the midst of COVID, that was a lot of fun. We had to submit a plan to the state. Uh, I did buy a six-foot-tall trophy. So the win oh team does now get their name on a plaque on the trophy. So that's kind of... That is, they, they, the, the team this year that won our tournament is in November, uh, came rushing up and they're like, "Do you have the plaque on yet?" Yeah, yes, I do. Oh, how funny! So, um, <laughs> it's it's really cute, but again, it's because I buy in from the students, right? And it, mm-hmm. it is a wild event. It is loud and a little chaotic. Uh, it is based in competition, which our kids love. We have two different competitions. Um, best dressed competition. And then obviously the winning of the, the winner of the dodgeball tournament. And so we make the bulk of our money. Uh, it's at the gate. So we charge $5 for students to get in. So if you're on a team or you're not on a team, you're paying the same amount of money, $5 and then $10 for adults. I did up the adult price this year um, mm. because I knew we were going to Uganda. So <laughs> um, <laughs> smart. that is also the night where we announce our trips. Um, where we're going to go oh. is at the dodgeball tournament. So that does. Oh, that builds a lot of hype and excitement and mm-hmm. great marketing strategy. I love it. Well, and it lets them know that like, this is a tournament for the missions program. Yeah. Um, that's another thing that I think is really important about fundraising. Um, and, and why I like to do several smaller ones, because it keeps the idea of missions in front of Mm -hmm. your community, um, Mm -hmm. that we are actually doing these things, that we are taking these trips. And that way, if people are thinking about it, especially toward the end of the year, if they have, you know, an an end of the year donation they want to make, oh, Ileana does these mission trips, we can donate to missions. So Mm -hmm. um, I do try to keep it in the forefront. And then this year, we did a, a new fundraiser that I hope to bring back. Um, our baseball team at Ileana has won back-to-back state championships. So congratulations. That's incredible. And they're such, the coaching staff is so wonderful and the boys on the team are great. Uh, So I reached out to them over the summer and I said, do you, would you be willing to do a staff versus state champs with a ball game? And the coach immediately said, yes, like, how can we help? So in September, we did a staff versus state champs wiffle ball game. Um, we charged admission, but then this is, this is the way I, you kind of level up your fundraising. We also came up, a friend of mine had this brilliant idea of doing what we ended up titling a menu of mischief, where hmm. the audience could give donations uh, that, would, that would affect the play of the game. So you could spend $40 and you could bat or you could spend $100 and make any, you know, any hit a home run. So oh my goodness. That's so smart. Who did you say came up with this a idea? A friend of mine did. Her name is oh, Mary. I yes, love it. It's like idea. throwing a wild card into the mix. Absolutely. And uh-huh. it was a hoot. Like we had, <laughs> uh, oh, <laughs> the one that made me a little nervous um, was Dizzy Bat or Dizzy Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so they could make the pitcher spin or the batter spin. 
So it was, it was great. And we were able, like several of the, the boys who had, who played in the wiffle ball game had been on mission trips before. So it was neat to kind of have them, um, you know, they were, they had graduated. So they came back and they're like, well, of course we played, you know, we, we see the value of these trips too. So that's kind of, of cool when you have them come back, but all of that to say, I think the most important thing is you have to figure out what your community is willing to pay for and mm-hmm. then figure out ways to do things that are going to, that is going to get your community involved. Like mm-hmm. you just, and make it fun. Um, yeah. I'm going to buy a chocolate bar from the, you know, the, whatever organization is selling chocolates, like our junior sell oranges and grapefruits. And that's a huge sale for them for their, um, for, I, I think they raise money for prom with that. I don't actually know. I just know that I buy oranges and grapefruit. Uh, (laughs) But you do, you do need to find those things that your community is willing to pay for, or that is willing to engage or that they're willing to engage with. For us, it's anything sporty and anything, um, any competitive competition. Yep. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. How much would you say uh, between those two roughly? What did you make? I think we made, I want to say we made $5,000 at both of them. No way. Around there. That is incredible. That is absolutely incredible. And certainly when people come in, they are not paying just the $10 like entrance fee. We absolutely have generous people in our community who are throwing larger checks in Mm -hmm. as their donation to missions. We also, right before we will leave on our trips, we do a dinner. Um, We have a wonderful family in our community who makes the best pulled pork in the business. Um, (laughs) And he donates, they donate the meat to us and we do a pulled pork fundraiser um, in between the afternoon matinee and evening show of our musical. So we catch the people who are leaving the afternoon showing the matinee, and then we get the people before they go in um, to the evening show. And we used to do a spaghetti fundraiser at that same time, but I have really noticed a decline in dinners. Um, Mm. But maybe that's a thing that will work for your community. Uh, you know, you just have to find what works with your community. What I like about the pulled pork dinner that we do is it does a service to our community as well. We're able to feed the, um, the, the people involved with the production, the, the cast and all of the adults that are part of it, which is a lovely ministry for us, right? Like they give us a free will donation and we're able to feed them so they don't have to worry about leaving in that short little window they have. And it is a time for all of our students to get face time with people of the community. So that's one event that we do make the students who are going on the trip serve at, and we have our shirts on then, right? And so everybody can see where we're going and what we're doing. Wow, that's amazing. So in that short amount of time, you went over three incredible fundraising ideas. I really like, how did you say the phrase again? When um, the low risk, low cost, or what, how did you say that again? Low risk, high reward. Okay, low risk, high rewards. Uh So 
if you wouldn't mind, um, if you can cite maybe two or three additional examples that really kind of fit that description, because sadly, most people won't have access to somebody who's willing to donate, you know, pulled pork. So, or those sorts of things. But um, I think that that mindset of getting those kids involved um, Mm -hmm. and actually having them just pay to enroll to play and it makes it a lot more um, smaller amounts and it doesn't seem like such a heavy hit for the individual to donate. So what would be a couple other examples? Um, There are two more that I can think of off the top of my head. One that I love and have done at Ileana. We just, I've done it a handful of times. I just can't get it to take off the way the dodgeball tournament and the wiffle ball game did. Um, We do, we called it the show the first time we did it. Then when the television show Lip Sync Battle came into popularity, we changed it to Lip Sync Battle. And that's essentially what it is. You have different groups sign up to be acts and they do a lip sync battle. And again, you charge admission and you let the groups, you know, costume and choreograph their routines. If you have an auditorium, which we don't, uh, that's a great place to house it. It is a really fun event. And again, low cost, high reward. Um, You're not paying for anything. The only thing that I would caution you if you do that is make sure you pre-select the songs and (laughs) that you um, watch the acts beforehand just to make sure that you know what is about to happen on your stage. Oh no. Did um, you have something bad happen? Oh no, no, no. I've oh, good. <laughs> far too long to let them get on stage <laughs> and play any song they pick. Yeah. So, um, no, I, but we have done that maybe five or six times in my 17 years here at Ileana and mm-hmm. every year it is a hoot. Uh, the hardest part, I have no problem getting dodgeball teams we usually have between 28 and 34 dodgeball teams every year so i have no problem with that it's hard to get acts to sign up to do the lip sync i bet i bet it's it's a you have to be a little bit more vulnerable than playing Mm -hmm. dodgeball so yeah uh, that one's a little tricky um another thing we do at iliana it's not a fundraiser for um missions, but I I also co-sponsor student council and it is a fundraiser for student council. We do singing telegrams. Um, Oh, that's a cute idea. It's hilarious. We used to do them in conjunction with Valentine's day. So again, you get a couple of groups who sign up to sing uh, two songs each again, please, please listen to them before they sing them and and pre-approve their songs. Uh, and then you can buy singing telegrams for uh, a person in a class. This does take a little bit of coordination because you do need to find out from teachers like, no, thank you. I don't want my class interrupted with these. Some teachers are going to be fine. Some teachers, it depends. Like I've had it before. I really love singing telegrams. They're always welcome in my classroom. But if I'm giving a test that day, like, no, thank you. Um, yeah, yeah. And so well, who, who's actually doing the singing? The students. We have a... a stu- yep. Okay. So last year, I think we had four <laughs> groups. Um, they each had two songs that they were going to sing. And then uh, we moved it from Valentine's Day uh, because student council also does a lot, lot with homecoming. So we were a little busy. We moved it to our principal's birthday and we did it in honor of him. 
And so oh. then, oh, I guess it was a missions fundraiser because what we did is we allowed him to pick three organizations that are mm -hmm. very important to him. Mm -hmm. And we donated all the money we raised to those three organizations. And Peter did pick missions as one. I forgot about that. Sorry, Peter. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so it, it is just kind of a fun, silly event uh, thing that we do here. But it, again, it's low risk. Uh, your students are your workforce. Um, they like to get out of class to do the singing. It's a great way for them to showcase their talents. And then um, it, is an, it is a nice way, you know, for our students to show their appreciation for their fellow friends because they send them these songs. Um, do they sometimes send them, you know, to embarrass their friends they sure do so <laughs> i bet they do <laughs> they um, wouldn't be a high schooler if they didn't right but we, we do <laughs> keep track of that too and make sure you know like okay we know these two are friends this isn't a pick on you situation mm -hmm. um yeah when we do it at valentine's day it's typically love songs the the nice part of moving it to peter's birthday which is in april is we focused more on songs that deal with friendship than love, which was kind of nice. So, yeah. you know, you got to open that up a little bit. And then, yeah, so find a holiday, find a thing that your school is really kind of wild about. Mm -hmm. um, if Valentine's Day is big at your school, do something like selling candy and carnations um, or candy and roses. Just find little things that you can do. Um, my other advice is, if you don't meet, meet your goal the first year, don't quit. Um, I have found that it usually takes about three years for something to take off and become a tradition. So like our first dodgeball tournament, we had 11 kids or 11 teams. We were kind of always in the teens for the next few years. And then year four, it kind of exploded and became what it is now. So I think that is the key. Don't give up after just one year. Uh, make sure, unless it like super flops, then and then cut ties with it and pretend you never did it. But yeah, um, that, that's it, good advice because it would be easy to just give up and think, oh, this one didn't work. But you're right. Mm -hmm. It becomes an institution. It becomes a tradition that kids do end up looking forward to. So it takes its... Um, yeah, don't give up, right? And if it flops, if you're working in a high school and you still love the idea, wait three years and try it again because you'll have a whole new crop of students and they won't mm -hmm. know that it flopped, right? Like, part <laughs> that's true. Sometimes it is about like the students you have in your building, and you know, like, if I had, we were able to bring singing telegrams back last year because we knew we had the right student body who was going to do it. So mm -hmm. uh, you have to kind of know your audience and the people you're working with as well and know when it's time to to bring something back. Yeah, I feel like you've shared so much of the secret of your success of um, doing fundraising at your school. But um, is there any other little tidbit that you might want to add that you would say that this is really what always um, I consistently do each and every year that brings about success? Yes, there are two other two other things that we do that have the students uh, raise money for their trips. Um, one I am in the middle of right now is we have students write letters 
Uh, it used to be in the past that we had them send out the letters themselves and then collect the money and turn it in. Last year, I started sending out the letters for them just so I could ensure that the letters actually got sent out. Uh, so we have them write a fundraising letter. I have a fundraising letter template. If anybody ever wants to borrow it, just send me an email and I will send you the template um, that just the students write this letter and then give me between 10 and 20 addresses, either email or paper addresses, and we send out those letters. Um, that is a very important thing that we have students do, and it's a great way for students to alert their families about the trips they're going on, because I think that is, you know, we've talked a lot about fundraising, which is definitely something I am passionate about, but those letters ensure that our trips are covered and coded in prayer, and that is the protection and everything we need to make sure these trips go in the way that honors and glorifies God. And I think that is something that we can't like talk little about. That is something that's super important. Um, the other thing we ask students to do is talk to their churches. Uh, last year, I had a student uh, who goes to my church who uh, her mom and I are friends and we um, colluded to sign her up for a mission trip and then told her she was going on one. Uh, that went over well. Um, surprise. Surprise. <laughs> uh, but no, she's lovely and she is returning to West Virginia again this year. So I knew it was right. Um, please don't do that to every, <laughs> to every student. You have to kind of know the kid you're working with. Uh, but anyway, she is very reserved and uh, likes to be in the background a little bit. So when I told her, you know, we need to ask our church for money. You need to get in front of the church. She was like, no, thank you. And I said, mm, yes, please. So I, I got up there with her and we asked. And by the time we left church that day, her trip was paid for. Wow. And that's amazing. And I go to an itty bitty church with like itty bitty, like small congregation. There's nothing mega about the church I go to except their commitment to missions and service. So, yeah. um, Get in That's front of incredible. your churches and get in front of your families and tell them because people want to donate to these things. I I want to know what you're doing as, you know, a sister and an aunt. I care about what my family is doing. And if you're doing something and I can help you out financially, I'm absolutely going to do it. And some of these trips are paid for by, you know, a thousand twenty dollar checks and that's that's the way we cover you know some of these bigger trips it's not about you need that one twenty thousand donation no you need a thousand twenty dollar checks so so you were talking about um essentially what you're doing with your missions trips and when you send out the letters essentially the kids are doing you know mass crowdfunding right by sending out the letters mm -hmm. and um that's always kind of difficult to you know, um, allocate who gets what money, et cetera. So it's kind of nice to just kind of blanket all of those funds over each one of the kids. How is that an advantage doing it that way? Um, then and having the school write, I'm sorry, I should say the donor write the school, the check versus writing the check to the individual. Well, this is what we learned in 2020. So when, um, the world shut down because of COVID, 
we had trips planned. In fact, we were scheduled to leave that next week. But because that money had come in through the school and to the school, we were not able to refund any of it because it's a tax donation. And I spent a lot of time on the phone with lawyers, as did uh, Peter, learning that. So we have since added a paragraph to our fundraising letter template that makes that abundantly clear that your donation is tax deductible. So because you're donating it to Ileana on missions, if you donate it to a human person, like if I were to, if they were to write the check just to me, it's not necessarily tax deductible from what I understand. Um, but if they do to Ileana, it is, but that also makes it not refundable. So it is really important that you include that verbiage in any letter you send out that, you know, this is tax deductible, but non-refundable. Uh, one thing that I am unsure of because I work in a Christian school or a religious school, I am not sure how the tax deductible donation would work if you are in a public school program. And I'm not entirely sure how it would work if you were donating to a trip that wasn't service-based, uh, if it was just a educational trip um, or a trip to experience a culture that, that wasn't necessarily linked to um, a mission or service. So if I were thinking about starting this program, I would make sure that you talk to somebody who would know the answer to that question. Um, talk to an accountant or talk to someone in your school who does fundraising and, and they should be able to help you with that um, in a way that I can't because I don't know how it works at schools that yeah. are uh, religious. Yeah, that's that's good advice. Good, solid advice. You never know. You don't want to tip you don't want to step on anyone's legal toes. <laughs> right. And you don't want to tell somebody something is tax deductible when it is not. No. <laughs> that feels like a fight you don't want to have. Exactly. Well, I feel like we are wrapping up at the final stages of um, this chat. And I was wondering if you would like to go ahead and share any final thoughts or pieces of advice that perhaps I didn't ask you about or just anything that uh, you might recommend or yeah, your final thoughts about the subject of fundraising. Um, fundraising, I think the most important thing I can tell you is try it. Uh, come up with an idea or come up with something that you think will be fun and do it. Um, also, know that you don't have to do it alone. I certainly get tons of support at the school that I work at from my colleagues, uh, from my my administration, from the community. Uh, there are people that want our students to be exposed to um, cultures and places and locations that go beyond the walls of your school. Uh, tap into those resources. Find the people who will help you and allow them to help you. Don't think for a minute that you have to do it all on your own because you do not. Um, you just on average, don't. each year, how many do you host? How many fundraising events do you host on average? I try to do something every other month. My okay. most beautiful world uh, where I hope to get to in the next five years is where we're doing something every month. Like uh, I have a couple ideas that I'm, that I'm cooking on. Uh, I'd love to do a car show. Uh, Ileana has a great parking lot to do a car show. I'd love to host like a craft fair. Um, 
really what I'd love to host is a fishing expo. Uh, there's there's kind of a need for that in our community, something along those lines. Um, but I would love to do something once a month if I wow. could. That's, Every other month is my favorite. Is that's what amazing. Yeah. Wow. Have you ever done anything like, um, I know that quite often the car wash is, it seems like everyone just kind of defaults to the car wash option. Um, but have you ever done anything like, um, cause you're t- thinking about expos like garage sales, but actually inside your gymnasium and kids bring in things and then have a community garage sale. Or have you ever done anything like, um, uh, daddy daughter dance? No, I did just, it's funny that you brought up a dance. I did just send uh, a video to my friend that I work with here that does fundraising um, about a silent disco with Uh like, honest to goodness, it said, how can we monetize this? So um, we are like, that is kind of something that's in the back of our mind that we're thinking about doing. Um, I don't know what it is, but I have a severe aversion to garage sales and bake sales and things like that. Okay. <laughs> I, I think there's so much work and I think they're one of those things that's like mm. high risk, low reward. And I am a low risk, high reward kind of girl. That's so smart. That's smart. I, yep. Like, work. A garage sale. No, thank you. <laughs> like yeah. I do that with my own stuff. So, um, <laughs> and we also, our school is supported by, um, uh, our feeder schools are supported by three different, uh, what's the word I want? Thrift stores. So I would hate to do something. I'd rather our people donate their money to their thrift stores or mm-hmm. donate their, their items to the thrift store than to us. Like I, I try to find those little places where we, like you said earlier, where we aren't stepping on anybody's toes. Um, and our, our music department does car washes. So no, I haven't touched those, but that would be another kind of low risk, high reward situation. Yeah. Well, Sarah, I just want to thank you so much. You have just been such a joy to talk to and you're actually, I'll, I'll be quite honest with you. You're inspirational with what you're doing. So even though I started this whole podcast saying that I don't like fundraising, I'm actually been inspired. Potentially tackle something like that. I really like your ideas. I like your little mantra that you keep saying, low risk, high rewards. And I think that if you go about it with that mindset and that approach, um, and if you're creative enough, and my goodness, there's no shortage of resources with Pinterest and Instagram and all these different ideas that um, come over across social media, they really can inspire. So as you said, you just got to feel the pulse on your community. Mm-hmm. kind of know what they're going to be willing to do and um, what their passion happens to be. And then just kind of, um, you know, focus in on that and really kind of, uh, yeah. So I think that's great. I'm just totally um, in awe of what you've been able to build and what you're doing with those kiddos. And man, you are changing their lives. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of All About Fundraising. And I hope Sarah was able to share some insight about creative ways on how to go about doing it. And it won't be such an intimidating thing to consider uh, when you decide to lead your next trip. I guess uh, if there's one thing that I learned is that fundraising could potentially actually be fun and can be a great way to bring about this cohesiveness and this group sense of community with your students. If you enjoyed listening to this episode, be sure to like and subscribe. And if you could do me a huge favor, leave a review. 
because when you leave a review, because other like-minded teachers will find this podcast. In addition, if you're looking for great resources, be sure to check out my website, Teachers Show Me the World. When you go there, you'll find resources and additional blog posts that give other great tips and suggestions for how you can become a teacher that will show your students the world. In addition, we have a Facebook group that we would love for you to join. It's a great place to chat with other teachers and get ideas and inspire and support each other on this journey. Until next time, ciao!